You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Josh Barker, and we're talking to your elected officials. Today, we have State Representative Andrew Fink representing Michigan's 58th district, including Hillsdale and Branch counties. Uh, It's great to be back here in Michigan after an eight-month sabbatical out in Washington, D.C. A lot has happened since then, of course. During that time, Representative Fink has talked to our own Scott Bertram. Uh, But since their last conversation, the Michigan primaries took place. Um, And so, uh, most notably, we want to congratulate you, Representative Fink, on uh, winning your primary. Thank you. Uh, This means, of course, that he'll be on the ballot down here in Hillsdale in November. A lot of other people are going to be on the ballot, besides Representative Fink and his colleagues uh, in the Michigan State Senate. Uh, Governor Whitmer is also up for re-election, as well as some other uh, statewide positions, uh, Attorney General Nessel, for, for instance, uh, among others. Also, the Education Choice Initiative has reached the necessary number of signatures, um, but that's not going to be on the ballot. We're going to get to that. Uh, with what's expected ahead and what's going on, we got a lot to talk about. And so, uh, first and foremost, Representative Fink, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me on, and welcome back to Michigan. Thank you. So again, you're now out of primary mode into general election mode that's taken up much of your summer and I'm sure will be a fair amount of time in the upcoming months and uh, campaigning, talking to your constituents and hearing from them. Tell me about what you're hearing and what you see as really important going into the general election and maybe even your vision for the upcoming legislative session. Well, I I think that by far the most common issue that I heard about on the doors was some variety of concerns about education. There's some concern about adequate funding for schools, and I think that concern should be primarily addressed by the fact that we've had consecutive years of of, uh, record funding for schools. If there is a problem in our public schools, I don't think that it uh, is the amount of money per student, which the foundation allowance has also been equalized across the entire state now, which I do think was uh, an important step to take. So the state kind of uh, guarantee of, of a minimum funding per student has been equalized across the state. That's a good development. But again, funding being at record levels, if our performance is below what has been in the past, what it has been in the past and what it is acceptable, it can't be uh, only and maybe even not at all, or at least not primarily about funding. So what I think you wind up kind of confronting is, well, are the schools providing Um, generally are the schools providing what the community, what parents expect the schools to provide for their students. And I think that that the the answer to that question is it varies by school district. It varies by, um, uh, to some degree, by student, which I think we might come back to later in the conversation, and what fits for a given family or given student. It's not the same for everyone else, even in the same, you know, area, district, or uh, neighborhood, or whatever. Uh, But Overall, I think people are concerned that schools are focusing, um, again, not every school, not every school in our area, certainly, but that some schools are focusing on issues besides the fundamental uh, educational achievements that we want our students to all make, you know, the classic formulation of reading, writing, and arithmetic. If every student was uh, graduating reading at what we consider a 12th grade level, doing math at a 12th grade level, uh, able to write at something like a 12th grade level, then I think that concerns about other things the schools are doing would be reduced. But right now we have, at best, trade-offs being made by schools, in some cases just uh, outright poor decisions about what to focus on, what to teach, what values to, to impress upon the students. And those issues come up time and time again. Obviously, for a parent, nothing is more important than believing your child has a shot to not just you know get by, but to succeed, even to excel. That's what parents want for their children more than anything else. 
And if you think that the educational environment in the public schools, which you're paying for, um, is not up to snuff, it puts a lot of stress on a family. One, of course, we spend most of our time talking about Michigan politics, but Virginia, that was a big thing that analysts looking back at that race last year, they, uh, for our listeners, have an off-year off race, so, so their gubernatorial race was actually in 2021. Um, but education became a huge uh, debate within the state, and a state that's been pretty solidly blue. It was purple for a while, but, I mean, both of their senators, seven out of their 11 Congress people. All Democrats, their governor has been Democrat for a very long time. So, but that issue was able to change, you know, a blue state in that direction. Michigan certainly is more of a purple state. The state legislature, not the not the governorship, in Republican hands. Um, you know, Congress is a little more evenly divided. Do you think that a focus on education could potentially swing Michigan in the same direction that it swung Virginia just last year? Or do you think perhaps we're in a slightly different uh, environment here and that the two aren't necessarily the right comparison? There are differences that you could look at between Virginia and Michigan. Frankly, one of the differences is that the counties surrounding Washington, D.C. are the wealthiest counties in the country, both on the Maryland and the Virginia side. And that's where some of the growth is happening there. So there are some different characteristics. But overall, I think that the, the comparison is probably pretty apt both, you know, states that you might consider to be sort of mid mid-size in terms of population. Virginia is growing much more rapidly than Michigan, unfortunately. Uh, maybe that's especially unfortunate because it does tend to be tied to industries that rely on the government, uh, if not the government itself. But I want Michigan to be a, a place that, without relying directly on government contracts and whatnot, is a place that grows uh, at least as rapidly as Virginia. So I don't think the comparison is off base. And yes, I do think that education will have to be a part of the, again, it's, it's the most common issue that I'm hearing about now. So I, I think it undeniably will be a major part of uh, what parents want to see in uh, gubernatorial candidates. And I mean, just to that point, Josh, it, there's no denying that our governor shut schools down longer than most other states. I'm not sure that, New, I think New York probably exceeded us, but still longer and, and harsher shutdowns, including of schools. We can talk about the other disastrous consequences of uh, some of Governor Whitmer's policies, but on education itself, she seemed to kind of have realized it and sort of focused on the local control of continued masking or school closures in some jurisdictions over the course of the 2020-2021 school year and 2021-2022. But I think that that's probably less than what a lot of people want to see. I mean, emphasizing the local control when the state is still capable of setting a policy that would be good for all the students of the state. I don't know that she is going to be kind of let off the hook for the poor decision making that she allowed to continue without even really using her bully pulpit. So by, you know, the State of the Union in late January or early February, whatever it was this year, she was talking about all schools being open, but it took her, I mean, that's almost two years from when they initially closed. So I think that, that her lack of leadership on that uh, issue, her lack of judgment on that issue um, should be a focus of the campaign. It may, I hope, that we don't face the same set of circumstances again, if for no other reason than if she's the governor, I just don't have any faith that she'll negotiate them much better than she did the first time around. But there's going to be some kind of difficult decisions to be made, and she made really bad choices in a lot of cases, choices that emphasize centralized control, uh, centralized control within the government, 
myopic decision-making, focusing on one issue, one thing, one aspect of a complex problem at the expense of all others. And that resulted in our state losing population for the first time in a decade last year. As the country continues to grow, our state continues to shrink. In some years, literally shrink in raw numbers of population, but certainly compared to the rest of the country, shrinking as a proportion of the overall population. That's just not a tenable way for our state to be a place that, you know, my kids want to uh, stay once they grow up. And so I think there's lots to say about the way Governor Whitmer handled these things. I mean, there's 3,000 closed restaurants. Those restaurant owners have a story to tell. And it was not it was not necessary. It didn't have to happen that way. Other places had essentially the exact same outcomes, uh, except maybe fewer nursing home deaths than we had. And they did it without imposing that kind of cost on small business owners who were capable of figuring out a way to make their customers comfortable if they needed to be made more comfortable and stay open. But they just weren't given that right by our governor unless they took extreme measures um, like our friend up in Jonesville, Mitch Spangler, did. What Mitch told me is, I know my business is going to close if I shut down for another three months, which is how long the second round was. Um, I'm going to give it a shot, see what happens. Well, he's open today. Thank God for that. But it took him making that decision, which is just not something that the state should have put him in a decision to make. So I think all of those things, I mean, the education piece of it is, is, uh, it's related, uh, to, uh, to the economic side of it. Although the, the education piece, and maybe this is where you want to go at some point here, the education piece also includes the content of education, which is another area where I think our governors refuse to lead. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I'm joined by Representative Andrew Fink. So, you know, right now in the polls, uh, Tudor Dixon is definitely behind Governor Whitmer. The latest poll had uh, only a four-point lead for the governor, uh, but within the past month, it's ranged from four to 11 points. We've still got a fair amount of time, but what do you think she needs to do, whether it's messaging or, you know, certain uh, outreach? What can she do to get up in the polls and confront uh, Governor Whitmer? Well, I think that getting, I mean, get, first of all, she's got a disadvantage in, in um, not having been on the scene for four years. You know, our, our governor has uh, taken full advantage of having, you know, the power of incumbency, the messaging that it's natural uh, for a governor of a state of 10, 10 million people to, to have access to. Some of it is, you know, it's difficult to poll as well as someone who is better known than you are. Beyond that, I do think that the, the message of what has been the priority for, for Governor Whitmer versus what would be the priority of a Dix administration, what would be the priority there? Well, I can tell you, I think that it would be working class families. I mean, what, makes, what would make Michigan a place where families want to raise their kids? I think that that, that comes back to uh, traditional values, among those values, including hard work and ownership and entrepreneurship. And I think it comes back to the government treating the citizens as though they are part of the solution to every problem instead of the, the problem itself. Trusting that the citizens, uh, the citizen being the fundamental form of government in this country, that should mean that we go forward uh, looking to the citizens as you know, the, the essential political actors rather than the object on which political action occurs. So focusing on, you know, telling working families, that we want to make it cheaper for you to buy a house, we want to make it cheaper for you to buy gas, we want to make it cheaper for you to buy groceries, we want uh, to allow you to instill the traditional values that you might want to instill in your kids without being combated at the public schools that you pay for, and that when you sort of set about uh, the, the tasks of everyday living, you know, that's sort of the, the, that's the American dream, not uh, the government usually creating and then solving problems for you. 
And I think that's a great segue, the citizen being a fundamental source of government and, of course, the importance of education, as we've, we've been talking about, into talking about the Education Choice Initiative. The deadline for filing to get on the November ballot was June. Education Choice missed that, but did acquire enough by August uh, this past month. Uh, and there's still something to be done, or at least it, that can be done on that front. Certainly, we've talked about the importance of school choice on this program, and that's a major development on that front. Um, let's first recap with uh, some numbers and, and facts here. Uh, this particular proposal, most Michigan students would qualify. Uh, they'd be eligible to receive funding. Students who remain in public schools get uh, $500 for qualified expenses. That's tutoring, after-school programs, transportation, therapy, if applicable, um, special ed, special needs students, they'd get uh, $1,100. Uh, if a student end up, ends up switching to a private school, homeschool, or another non-public option, they get $7,800 per student, which is still less than what the public school uh, is getting per student. Uh, and that could be used to pay for tuition or you know, textbooks if you're a homeschooler. It would give parents more control over education dollars, you know, slogan of its supporters. Uh, the dollars don't fund systems, they fund students. But there's been some pushback, the, the governor for one. Um, there's criticism this would hurt public schools and students. Uh, so talk our listeners through how you see this particular proposal. And as a supporter of it, what's really the next step? Since our listeners aren't going to see it uh, in November on their ballot, uh, that doesn't mean it, it's over. Well, so the, the, the mechanism here would be that the legislature, once an issue has been certified, to go to the ballot uh, for, by the uh, board of canvassers, the legislature can vote to to just enact the legislation. There's some litigation over some forms of doing that uh, happening right now relating to the prevailing wage initiative from 2018. Uh, but a more direct analog in this case would be the Unlock Michigan uh, petition that was certified last summer, and we we went into session for a day during what otherwise might have been an in-district work period in order to uh, pass that legislation, which means the governor cannot veto it. If it's if it's the legislature adopting initiative language, the governor can't veto it. It's a feature of kind of mid-century constitutional, state state constitutional government. It's there's California's more famous for its initiative process, but you know, ours has been quite busy for the last few decades as well. Uh, some of that's been okay. Some of it's been pretty bad uh, in terms of what's actually been passed uh, by it. But as long as that process is going to be out there, then the legislature should be aggressive in, in taking issues off the governor's desk when we can because she vetoes everything that's a good idea. So, uh, or at least uh, that's how it feels sometimes. Because she signed a few of my bills, but she's vetoed the ones that uh, you and I probably talked about because they're more fun. Anyway, so that's a good way to handle that issue. The reason that issue is worth supporting is because it would put some money into the hands. And by the way, this actually wouldn't be tax dollars. This, this, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a complicated scheme to avoid it being tax money for uh, reasons relating to our so-called Blaine Amendment in our state constitution. The, the state, state government is constitutionally prohibited from giving money to private schools. This would set up basically a way uh, through your, the paying your taxes to make donations to scholarship granting organizations, which could then provide money to Michigan families to augment their, their children's education in ways that make sense for that individual family and that individual child. 
And I guess what I think is important about that is that no one could deny that every child is different. I mean, this sounds like a Sesame Street segment or some public service cartoon or commercial or whatever. Uh, you know, every child is different. Every child is special. Every child is unique. If you think that's true, then why on earth would you prevent them from having unique educational experiences that make sense for that child? Whether it's a difference in ability, either struggling in a given area and getting some tutoring, excelling in a given area and getting some tutoring, wanting to try something that's not available through the typical eight days or eight hours a day at the local school. Uh, you know, maybe it's a music lesson or uh, some extracurricular, uh, like ballet or something like that. All of these things are good for a child's, uh, mind, body, and soul. Uh, and yet there are people who think that providing that opportunity to these kids would disrupt the educational establishment in a way that they cannot tolerate. You can tell that I'm passionate about this because, you know, I have five kids of my own. If I were not able to provide for them, uh, a diverse set of educational options, I can just tell you my five kids, I can, I, you know, I could sit here all day, obviously, and talk about the differences between things they're good at, things they like, things they dislike. These are five kids being raised by this, you know, the same two parents uh, who have three degrees between the two of us. I mean, my children have plenty of advantages, and yet they still have unique challenges when it comes to, to school. You know, one of my kids does not want to learn to read at the same rate that the school wants him to learn to read. That's a challenge that we have to invest time in, into overcoming. There's no good reason why uh, if if people want to donate to a fund to allow students to take advantage of their generosity, that we should structure the system to avoid it. So overall, that's, that's I think, the best pitch for it. It's just that the children are unique, the educational experiences that they you know, need to thrive are unique, and for God's sake, isn't that what we want? So do you anticipate the legislature taking this up before the end of the session or potentially January of next year? I can just tell you that I don't know what would stand in the way I think when we voted on versions of this in the legislature, I believe all members of the majority voted for it. Um, if I'm wrong about that, it certainly is still true that a majority of each chamber voted yes. for it. So yes. um, so I, I don't think there should be a problem with getting it through. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Josh Barker with Representative Andrew Fink here. For last segment, I want to talk briefly about social issues. They're playing a large role in our national discussion right now. And you've mentioned in the context, the importance of education, the content of education, particularly whether that's in Virginia uh, or potentially here this November. One of the bills you're sponsoring, House Bill 6306, encapsulates some of that. It's shorthand, you know, the drag queen story hour ban. Uh, so talk to me about that. What's the impetus behind this? And you know, as you and, and your Republican colleagues are looking at November are you concerned that a focus on social issues could potentially hurt in the general election? Um, I don't know. You know, I haven't talked to very many other candidates or whatever uh, about this particular piece of legislation. But I guess I just want to think for a second. What does this bill do? It says that the public schools will not expose students to drag presentations, drag shows. That's all it says. And then it gives a right of action to an aggrieved parent to sue the school district if a violation of the statute were to occur. The alternative is thinking that drag presentations are actually important to a child's education. So I guess I, I take your point that this seems like it might be it might fall into the bucket of, of issues that we refer to as social issues. But isn't this also an educational issue? I mean, is this really a part of a curriculum that Michigan public schools should embrace? In my opinion, the amount of time that should be spent in schools 
presenting drag shows to students is zero minutes at every school across the entire state of Michigan, no exceptions. If that's true, then this is no-brainer legislation. Again, the context here is in a public school in Michigan. So as a matter of resources, it does not really make sense that we're even having this conversation. Why would you oppose it? But I guess continuing it, the argument there is that children should be exposed to sexualized performances in school, but just generally. And, and so the question there is well, why? I mean, what, who is it that wants to provide a drag presentation for children? Who wants to subject children to that? Why do they want to do that? To me, it's obviously corrupting to a child to be exposed to something that is not age appropriate. The cultural value being whatever it is, the cultural value of p- putting children in that position is, uh, is not just zero, it's negative. So I don't, I don't have any hesitancy in saying, like, I don't think it's right to especially create a drag presentation of any kind for children, uh, even subjecting, you know, children to drag presentations that are happening anyway, uh, raises questions. And in some cases, I think probably crosses lines uh, that we already have in place uh, with regard to, you know, children being in uh, certain kinds of establishments, strip clubs and, and whatever. I mean, I think it at least raises those issues. But you understand the point. I mean, what, why, why would this be a good thing? Uh, to structure a child's life around. And I don't, I don't think there's a good answer to that. I can tell you what the opposition that sort of has been floated has been, which is, well, this isn't happening in Michigan schools anyway, to which I say a couple of different things. One, it is happening in other places. I mean, there's even been footage of like a drag show at like a, a high school basketball halftime in like Kentucky or someplace. So it's not strictly Massachusetts and New York or whatever that we're talking about. But in addition to that, that is always an available argument anytime you're trying to get ahead of a problem. And so I, I can't stand as a legislator to hear somebody else say, wait until this becomes a problem and then maybe I'll talk about it. No, you're trying to avoid the conversation now because I'm telling you exactly what the problem would be like. I'm showing you that it's happened in other places and you still don't want to talk about it. To me, that means you're afraid to talk about it because you know your position on it is, is out of step with where Michigan families are. All right, well, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you again for joining us, Representative Fink, and you've been listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Thanks, Josh. Thank you.